Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Okay, we are carrying on with our theme of Wisdom Builds the House and possibly in a theme that's a little bit uh, kind of consistent with school holidays and doing fun things, uh, we are going to be talking about the wisdom of community. The wisdom of community. And our primary text for tonight is Philippians 2 verses 1 to 8. So let's read that and then we'll get into it. This is the Apostle Paul. He is writing to a church community like ours, and uh, he, in some ways, and he is painting a picture for us about what it looks like for us to exist in community, in friendship. And he's basing that on the example that Jesus set for us. This is what he says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's difficult. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Also difficult. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. That piece of scripture is a good one that we could probably chew on for a very, very long time. I read an article this week that a, one of the big uh, Western universities sends out to its international students that are coming from other cultures uh, over here to study to help them with making friendships when they come to our part of the world. Now, I'm not saying this article is statistically proven. It's somebody's opinion, but it was pretty interesting. So we'll read some excerpts. It says this. Have you ever been confused about how friendship is defined in Western culture? Western people call other people their friends very easily. It's a term used loosely, perhaps because the English language does not offer any viable alternatives. Western people are typically polite, but they are also very private people. They want to be perceived as nice, friendly and helpful, but many want to preserve their private space and not get too close to people right away. In fact, they might even suggest, let's get coffee or let's get lunch, even though it seems like they don't actually mean it. Ouch. If they are actually serious about it, they will propose a time and place. Also, Western people really value their time, which is tied to their privacy and independence. They are so polite, they don't want to say, I don't have time to meet up. And they would rather say, sure, let's do it, and then not follow up with you. So essentially lie. They don't want to overcommit if they don't have the time or interest, but don't take it personally. Please keep trying to make friends with us Westerners. It's a little bit bleak. This is a legitimate university that sends this out to international students. This idea that uh, international people need to be warned about our potential fakeness uh, because we're hyper polite but not hyper relational. 
And the reality is, Western culture, it is radically individualistic. What does that mean? It means that, typically speaking, we are more focused on our own private pursuits, our own self-interests, than in living in community. We're not really dependent on our community or our extended families in the way that a lot of the, the rest of the world is. And this is often painted as a picture of freedom and autonomy. We get to carve our own paths. We get to be who we want to be, create a life that works for us, free from the constraints of obligation to other people. And there are definitely some benefits to this, right? We don't live in like a shame on a society where if we bring shame on our family, we get ostracised. That's a very good thing. But there are also downfalls. With individualism and freedom and autonomy often comes isolation and loneliness. And we all know about this. Sherry Turkle is an expert on what the digital age is doing to our world. And uh, she talks about how we live in this world where now technology engineers intimacy. And that means that intimacy gets redefined and downgraded in our lived experience. What does she mean by that? She's essentially saying, look, there was once a time when your closest friend was someone that you did life on life with. You frequently communicated to them face to face. You often talked about the realities of life, the joy, the difficulties, all of it. But today, your closest friend could be someone that you just send reels and memes back and forth with every day without ever truly connecting on a deep level. She's saying intimacy has been redefined. Our metrics for friendship and connection have been redefined. And rich and lasting relationships are just becoming more and more elusive in our culture. Last year, our Australian government released a report saying that we need a national strategy to address loneliness and social isolation because one in four Australians aged 12 to 18 report problematic levels of loneliness. And the Headspace National Youth Mental Health Survey reported that 54% of young people in our country feel a sense of loneliness. I think we all have some level of awareness that this is kind of where we're sitting. And I really wish that I could say, hey, the world is lonely, come to church, decide to follow Jesus, join a community of believers and your loneliness will instantaneously go away and you will never face relational conflict again. Your relationships will always be fully satisfied and fulfilled from here until heaven. End of message. We could all go home very happy. But most of us know this just isn't the automatic case. Whether we love Jesus or not, friendship is still hard and loneliness is still real. But here is what I'm putting out tonight. The richness of community that is on offer within the church and our church, the wider church, is incomparable with the richness of community that is on offer in our culture, our Western culture. Real, rich, fulfilling relationship that has been designed by God, architected by God. It's not automatic, it's not easy, but it is on the table, it is on offer. And we can have it even in the middle of a radically individualistic culture. And wisdom chooses to live in community. We should be interested in this. We shouldn't just think, nah, I'm good. I don't need it. I'm an introvert or I'm an independent person or whatever it is. Because there's, there's one thing perhaps that psychologists, sociologists, neurologists and pastors all agree on. And that is that it is essential for our health as human beings that we have community. We need it. And we, we need it because we're created, well, we perhaps know that we are created for community because we've been created by a communal God, a Trinitarian God. He himself is three in one. He created us for community in the core of our beings. That is what we need to be human is to need community. And this is the way that it has always been. In the beginning of time, we start reading uh, in scripture that God created a family. 
a group of people. And this family became a people group that we read about throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites, which grew and grew. And then when Jesus came and walked the earth, he lived a perfect life. He died. He was resurrected. Through that, he made way for anyone from any culture, for you and I to be adopted into that family. And then that family became churches that started to spread increasingly across the globe until today, now 33% of the population would consider themselves part of God's family. And that number is still on the incline. And I say that little spiel to say this, there has been no point in time when God wasn't thinking about a group of people doing life together. The theologian Ronald Rollheiser actually says Christian spirituality is just as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. It's always God and people, they go together. And in fact, this is what Jesus had to say about how we do community. In John 13, 35, he said this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples or my followers, if you have love for one another. It's a huge call, huge. This is the church, this community, this group of people, this family. We are called to love each other in such a way that the world outside would look in and say, wow, that's Jesus. And it's possible. So a century after Jesus said this, or a century after it was written, I don't know. Uh, a, a century after a point in time, uh, a theologian at the time, I'm sorry, forgive me, um, you get the point. Uh, Tertullian, he, he actually reported people who were not followers of Jesus looking at the Christian community and saying, see, look at how they love one another, because they were actually embodying and living out John 13, 35. I wonder if that can be said of you and I. And if not... Because certainly, I speak for myself, that's, that certainly can't be said of me all the time. Where have we come unstuck? What's the issue? Is it that modern church community just doesn't work? Is it that God is a liar? Is it that He created us to desire something that's kind of, sort of achievable, but just out of reach? Scripture would suggest absolutely not. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin writes about what we read in the book of Acts. This is the early church. And she says, I observed that while Christians faced every kind of suffering, even being stoned to death, there was one struggle they did not face, and that was loneliness. And we read about how these Christians, they shared their resources, they sold and pooled all their money so that everyone among them would have enough. They lived communally, they gathered daily, they bore one another's burdens, they loved each other deeply. It's a very different kind of connection than a Snapchat streak. So contrary to what marketing in our modern world would tell us, life in community is not actually supposed to be easy and convenient. We're not called to live a soft life, a good life, but not a soft life. Friendship and relationship within church community, it's supposed to be just as much about who we are becoming as what we're getting out of it. And that's typically not an easy process. If the gospel is true, which we believe with everything that we are, that it is, that means that the way that God calls us to live is not just the right way, not just the moral way or the ethical way, but actually the best way, the most compelling way that is actually going to lead us to the greatest level of flourishing as individuals and as a community. So two things can be true at once. Community can be really hard and really good at the same time. Hard does not necessarily equal bad, and easy does not necessarily equal good. But what I do observe, particularly in my own generation and the ones younger than me, is a propensity to choose what is easy, because we think it's going to be good, without following that choice down 5, 15, 20 years. 
So tonight we are going to compare friendship uh, from the way of the world, community from the way of the world and the way of wisdom, God's way, and uh, we'll see where we land. All right, number one. So the way of the world would tell us that friendship is forged through connection. This is pretty 101. Uh, Culture tells us our friendships are forged by spending time with people that have common interests. Maybe they're in a similar season of life as us. Maybe, you know, we have kids the same age or both at uni or both in the same class at school, whatever it is. But that doesn't necessarily mean that true godly friendship is being formed. An ease might be growing, a pattern of spending time together might be established, but that doesn't mean that we're calling each other to higher or better or to being more like Jesus. Connection doesn't necessarily pass the test of time. So will they be there and will you be there over the long haul? Or the test of trouble. Will they be there, will you be there in the middle of adversity? Time and trouble, two very helpful tests for friendship. Instead, Jesus offers us an alternative reality where friendship is forged through sacrifice. So if we look at verse 3 of our scripture, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. God's definition of friendship is radically different to that of our culture. Because he says the quality of our friendships are dependent on our sacrifice, that our friendships are actually forged by our sacrifice. So we can tend to think our friendships are forged by common interests, fun times, good chats, having a laugh. All of those things are wonderful, but biblical friendship over the long haul, through the seasons, growing me, refining me, transforming me friendship actually is developed through sacrifice. And that doesn't mean sacrificing the way that we want to, right? Like uh, squeezing in a coffee in a busy schedule with someone that we already wanted to spend time with. We can think that that's sacrifice, but this is referencing the kind of sacrificing that actually hurts. So sacrificing our pride to say sorry. I'm blessed enough to have at least a few people in my life who will properly tell me the truth, uh, which means that I'm familiar with that rage that like rises from within you when someone calls out something that you know is true, but you just don't want to hear. So in those situations, sacrificing our ego to admit they're correct. Sacrificing our comfort to tell a friend the truth. This is a really hard one. What do we do when we are watching someone make choices that are damaging or hurting their transformation into Christ-likeness? A thought, if we never confront or offer counsel, maybe we're not very good friends (laughs) because our comfort is more important to us than our friend's good. Sacrificial love is willing the good of someone else ahead of your own. And so, so what does it look like practically? Well, I think, I think of Pastor Amber, I've told this story probably many times, uh, who one day happily welcomed me in on her doorstep. I was crying. She didn't know me that well necessarily. Her family was having a backyard camping adventure and I was a bit of a teary mess. But she deemed that day my need to not be alone more important than her plans. Or I think of of Georgia who will frequently with absolutely no invitation just call me out and tell me the truth about the state of my life or my behaviour because me becoming more like Jesus is more important to her than it never being awkward or uncomfortable between us. 
I think of Bianca and Pastor George and Micah, who recently invited me on their family holiday because they just thought perhaps me being in my season of life would mean it's difficult to go on an international trip and they thought maybe they could include me and that would be more important than their own ease and their own convenience and their own comfort. I think of my sister Sammy who will just, at, any, at, a, at an important request, drop whatever it is and come and be present and help me when I need her. I think of the people who have chosen to celebrate me even when their world is really difficult and that's a painful thing to do. Or the people who have forgiven me when I've needed to apologise and then continued to invest with the same heart as they did before I hurt them. These things are costly. They cost. But true friendship is forged through sacrifice. And as the recipient of all of those examples and so many more, mostly from this community, that makes me want to be the same. To then go out and be inclusive, to be loving, to be considerate, to tell the truth when it's difficult that other people might benefit to the glory of God. I I do realise, you know, you could be thinking, all right, sure, that's well and good, but I can't just snap my fingers and, you know, produce these kinds of friends for myself. I don't have a Georgia in my life. And maybe, maybe you would be right, but we can show up and sow seeds and be intentional to pursue people who are living sacrificial lives and then trust God with the outcomes over time. Pastor Jared often talks about how the choices you make at 20 will determine where you're at at 30, the choices you make at 30 will determine where you're at 40, 40, 50, and so on. And um, I haven't lived the whole thing of that out yet to confirm, but I'm old enough to know that when I was like 19, 20 years old, I was so, so, so deeply lonely and sad and made the decision one day, okay, I'm just going to then be the friend that I want to whoever's around me, as long as it means I'm not compromising following Jesus, and I'll trust Him to provide me with the friends that I need. And not even 10 years later, my ties to this community and my friendships are one of the richest and the best things about my life. And you might not be 18, maybe you are 38, 48, 58, but it is never too late to start. Next thought, the way of the world tells us that when it comes to friendship, conflict is a reason to disengage. There was this famous study done 20 years ago that tells us that social rejection actually triggers the same part of the brain that triggers physical pain, which means that being rejected socially and relationally can sometimes be as real to us and affect us as much as a physical injury or feel like that. And so it's definitely not weak to feel the pain of relational conflict and difficulty. And as humans, often our instinct is to withdraw. But Jesus does offer us a better way where conflict is an invitation to intimacy. So in verse 3 of our scripture, Paul is saying, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit as a direct response to the selfish ambition and conceit that he's seeing in the community he's writing to. Sometimes we read the Bible in this detached manner. We almost imagine that it happened in some kind of vacuum that was insulated from the realities of life that we face today. But that's not the case. They were dealing with the same stuff that we're dealing with, people, issues, conflict, the same stuff that we're going to be dealing with until Jesus returns. Romans 15, 2, let each of us please his neighbour for his good to build him up. Verses 5 to 7, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is not written from a state of naivety about the fact that we're not very good at that. God knows 
Jesus knew. Jesus did not tell us to love each other because He was delusional and thought that we would just be able to do it easily. He spent 24-7 for three years with a bunch of 12 young men who followed Him literally. Like they walked behind Him when He moved around and, and they still didn't understand. They, they were wild, they were proud, they were arrogant, they were selfish, they were competitive. Most of us know the story of how Judas fully stabbed Him in the back. Jesus knew what it looked like when people come together, even when they are followers of Him. But that did not change the example that he set or the call that he gives us for how to relate to each other. And I, I don't say that to diminish the pain that some of us might have felt in you know, all types of communities, church or otherwise. And there are, of course, circumstances where the biblical and healthy response is to leave a context or a friendship or a community where harm is being done. That's not what I'm talking about this evening. I'm just talking about the hurt and the pain that comes from sin, from being rejected, from being hard done by, from being excluded. That is just part of being human and affects every single one of us no matter where we go. Because you see, one thing that psychologists tell us is that at a neurological level, the only way to get healing from relational wounds is in relationship. So whilst our greatest wounds come from relationship, so does our greatest healing. So when we're hurt and then we isolate to self-protect, we only stay broken. The biblical invitation is very different. And the, this concept, it's, it's the opposite of cancel culture. So it can feel a little bit odd, especially for those of us who are a bit younger and we're used to this messaging of like, just do what feels right for you right now and if it's not good, get out. Um, I would argue, and more importantly, Scripture would argue, it doesn't matter what I would argue, Scripture would argue that is a very short-sighted way to live that is eventually going to lead to emptiness. Because if we cannot hold grace for each other, sooner or later, there's not going to be anybody left. The biblical invitation to us, exampled by Jesus, is that when we are let down, hurt in our family, our church community, whatever, is not to disengage, but to re-engage with greater commitment. The invitation is to be for others what we wished that they would have been for us. I remember one dear friend who I had quite a big conflict with once and I wasn't really sure how to move on from that point because I'd kind of cooked it a bit and she chose to sit me down and she said, you know what, Div, I know that you mean well, but the way that you responded the other day really hurt me and it doesn't help me to be better and I think what I need right now as your friend is for you to love me a little bit more with a bit more graciousness and a little bit more patience. And that was a very humbling uh, conversation for me, but it was a turning point in our friendship where intimacy was formed. She had to choose to re-engage uh, and it's been so worth it. That is, that's the idea, that's the intent. There is no community on earth like the church of Jesus Christ. There's no community where the standard for loving each other is so high and at the same time, the grace and forgiveness for missing the mark is so limitless. I used to kind of think that the strength of community was found in my positive feelings about it. Um, anything is new and amazing at the start, anything. But journey for long enough with any group of people, any family, any workplace, any church, and long enough cracks are gonna start to show in yourself and in others. That's just reality. And I'm, I'm now learning the strength is in choosing to remain as wholehearted as you began through all manner of seasons, through all challenges, through all conflicts for the long haul. Why do I say that? Why is it worth it? 
Because it's worth it to fight for the real thing. It's worth it to pursue the kind of community that we were actually created for, the thing that God designed up, not a westernised version of, version of relationship where we keep saying, yeah, that coffee, that coffee that we never get to. It is worth it to stay in the context that God is using to change us and refine us and restore us and heal us. The strength is in staying and loving with your whole heart and being loved wholeheartedly in the middle of the mess. And lastly, the way of the world says that when it comes to friendship, I am the source of my love. So culture will say that I get to set the standard for my own life and that means that I have everything I need within me to sustain the life that I build. So that means that my ability to love others, to be a good friend, to engage with community, it's solely dependent on how I'm feeling and how well I'm doing on any given day. So pick a day when I'm feeling really loved and all my needs are met and I'll probably be a great friend. But pick another day where I'm feeling a bit insecure and I probably won't tell you the truth because I need you to like me and give me something in that moment. Maybe I'll compulsively say yes to all of these things without meaning them or having the intent to follow through. So on that, if we feel insecure whenever our friend is bonding with somebody else, that is a good indicator that maybe we're not able to trust God with our life or theirs. But the point is, none of us are constant. None of us are a secure source of love to sustain our friendships and sustain our community. I am not, I am fickle, so are you. And that's why the best way to do community is when Jesus is the source of my love. Verse 5 of our Scripture, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is the most radical love that there is. When we understand that the love of God for us is proven and true and unshakable and unchangeable, that becomes our source of power for existing in the world and existing in a community. So that means we can then interact with people in a way that is sacrificial without needing them to reciprocate because we're not operating to get love. We've got love. We're operating from the love that we already have, that we receive in Jesus. Not only is He the perfect example, He is actually the one who empowers us to imitate His example. We can't do it without God. We cannot do it without drawing on the source of Jesus. It's completely impossible. So when it comes to friendship and community, the way of the world can be superficial, it can be selfish, and all too often it can be temporary. But the way of wisdom, which might be more costly and more difficult, is rich and rewarding and real and what we were made for. So the invitation here tonight is to live lives that are radically different, much deeper, much richer, much more suited to us being changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus over a lifetime. This is what John Mark Comer says about it, and then we'll finish. Stay with your church, especially with your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community for it is there that we are set free. Actual freedom. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Enroll in the school of agape or God's unconditional love. When you fail a course, throw yourself upon God's mercy. Come back to the table, eat the bread, drink the wine, ingest the forgiving love of God. Repent. Repent again and again. Risk vulnerability. Vulnerability. 
We will get hurt and we will hurt in return, but that's just part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from relationships, but so does our deepest healing. The risk is worth it. Church community is a beautiful thing that we were created for. Our example is Jesus. Our help is Jesus. Our strength is Jesus. And our power is Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.